0: Ecclesiastes chapter 6 tonight. If I was going to title the message, I would title it this All Work and No Play. Makes whatever that cat's name is a dull boy. Man by the name of Tom Peters. Um, he's the co author of two of the most widely read books on the subject of work. And in his second book, titled A Passion for Excellence, he sets forth the mandates for excellence in the work arena. And he, he's emphatic in, in his writing about, number one, the need for prioritizing the customer. Number two, backing up your product with thorough service. And number three, working from the strength of integrity. And if somebody was going to go out today and start a business, uh, those are three pretty solid foundational principles upon which to begin a business. Number one, prioritize the customer. Number two, back up your product with thorough service. And number three, just be a man or woman of your word operate based on integrity. And he draws his discussion of excellence to a conclusion by talking about the cost of excellence. Because there is a price to pay for excellence. And he makes an honest but alarming statement um, in the last page of the last chapter of that book, and here it is. We are frequently asked if it is possible to have it all a full and satisfying personal life and a full and satisfying, hard-working, professional one. In his opinion, the answer is no. He said, the price of excellence is time, energy, attention, and focus. At the very same time, that energy, attention, and focus could have gone toward enjoying your daughter's soccer game. Excellence is a high-cost item. And I believe Solomon probably would share um, that, that same sentiment. As we continue our study here and trying to learn about, uh, from a man who tried to find satisfaction in a life apart from God, uh, Solomon talks about work. And again, I think that he would, would probably concur that it is impossible to have a full and satisfying personal life and a full and satisfying, hardworking, professional one. One or the other is going to suffer. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to to be a, a, a winner at one and a loser at one. That's just, it's to say this, they can't both be equally satisfying you with me? One one
1: is going to be less
0: satisfying and less fulfilling than the other. That, that's, just, that's just the way it is. Um, and unfortunately, in many, in many situations, it's the personal side of life. In particular, it's family life. That often loses out. To give you some idea as to the mixed-up priorities of today's working adults, once you consider these results from a question that was posed to the readers of Fast Company magazine. The question was this, if you could have one more hour per day at home or a $10,000 a year raise which would you choose? Let that think sink in for a minute. If you could have one more hour a day at home or a $10,000 a year raise which would you choose? Now I'm I'm going to I'm going to say this, that your answer to that, I don't want to say this, will, will depend on what stage of life you're in, okay? If you have kids at home, that's one thing. If you have no kids at home, the family's gone, it's just you and mama, that may be another thing. But the percentage who chose the money was 83%, while those who said they'd rather have an additional hour at home came in at 17%. And if, if, you, if those numbers apply to many of the homes represented here tonight, you're still raising your children. You have Some of you have little ones at home. Some of them are junior high, senior high. It shouldn't be a surprise why marriages are failing and homes are falling apart at an unprecedented rate. When 83% of people chose money basically over family, it's a sad scenario. In verses 7 through 9 of Ecclesiastes 6, Solomon addresses three issues. Number one, he addresses the failure of an endless vocation. Number two, he addresses the folly of a godless education. And finally, he talks about the futility of a senseless fascination. So go to verse 7, if you're in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, look at verse 7, and let's talk for a moment about the failure of an endless vocation. Solomon said this, all the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet, the appetite is not filled. Let's read that verse out loud together tonight, can we? Verse 7, here we go. All the labor of a man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. Now, something needs to be understood here before we proceed any farther. Solomon is not saying That all work is is worthless and unprofitable in the end. So, hey, there's no need to work. That's not what he's saying. Okay, get that. Understand that. Um, Now, I doubt if there's very many, if any, here tonight would say that their work is their greatest adventure in life. Now, you may say, preacher, it's an adventure every day I go to work. Yeah, in a negative sense, probably. But I'm saying very few people here can say, yeah, work is the greatest part of my life. I don't know that many, many could say that. But we do understand tonight that it's a necessary part of your life. And honestly, it's a profitable part of your life. Not as profitable for some as you would like, but stay at it. So again, Solomon is not criticizing work in itself. And when you, you think about it, uh, it's easy to understand that he's not um, because the Bible encourages work, does it not? Absolutely. I mean, all throughout the page of the Bible, it talks about our work and how we ought to labor and how we ought to work. and. How we ought to steward the gifts and, and abilities that, that God gives us to do the things that we do. I mean, as far back as the Garden of Eden, God was, was a strong proponent of a, a good work ethic. And he gave Adam work to do. I mean, you talk about work ethic. Just study uh, some of the uh, writings toward the end of, uh, of the Bible. Even in the book of Ephesians, um, the book of, of uh, First Peter, I believe it is. Listen, the Bible has a lot to say about our work ethic and how we ought to be in the workplace. So, so again, I say all that to say this, Solomon is not downgrading work. He's not, he's not diminishing work or talking down about work. Proverbs 14, 23 tells us this, in all labor there is profit. I I thought about a few things uh, this afternoon. Work profits us in that it makes life compelling. Uh, Some find great satisfaction in work. It may not be the most satisfying thing in your life, uh, but when you get up and you go to work, Uh, There's new challenges for some of you in the place where you work. I see Brother Wesley back there, works on cars. He works at a Ford place, so he's pretty busy. I only say that because Brother Tyler dogged him pretty hard on Monday night. (laughs) But you go in, no day is the same. I mean, there's always something different, a new challenge, something I see some of our law enforcement guys here, no day's ever the same. I mean, you may have financial crime one day and a a murder the next day. You never know. It's it's crazy. Everything's different. But some of you, bless your hearts, you go in, you know what your day's going to be like. And it gets kind of mundane and it gets kind of boring, but still... One of the prophets, one of the advantages of work is that it does make life compelling. Uh, something else, it teaches us a lot about ourselves, how we work, and and how we conduct ourselves at work. Uh, tells us a lot about who we are as a person, as a believer, as a Christian. And then it gives us the joy of accomplishment. Uh, again, I'm picking on Brother Wesley, but uh, but there's got to be some real, real joy. Monday night, they were... Tr- trying to track down a few lighting problems, and I said, it's not like you haven't tracked down a few electrical problems in your life, but there's got to be a sense of joy when you get to the end of it, and you say, boom, I beat it, I won, it's awesome. Again, our enforcement guys, when they close a case, when, when everything comes together, and boom, there's a conviction. I mean, there's some satisfaction in that. And and, and whatever else uh, you do, whether it's in the medical field and and you're treating somebody, you're working with somebody, you're helping somebody, and in that day you see them get up and walk out of the hospital, that's got to be a rewarding thing. And so there, there is a sense of accomplishment in our work. So yes, Solomon was right. In all labor, there is profit. So here's what Solomon is being critical of in the pursuit of complete, or excuse me, this is what Solomon is being critical of in this verse, and that is pursuing complete satisfaction through work. The point that he makes is that a person can work and work and work and still not be satisfied. Look at it, verse 7 again. All the labor of a man is for his mouth. And yet, look at it, and yet the appetite is not filled. What what what's he what's he telling us there? Here's how I would say it work is more for the stomach than it is for the soul. You with me? Work is meant to meet. Our physical needs not our spiritual needs and so if somebody is going to work looking for it to satisfy as we talked about Sunday morning that that emptiness that void in somebody's life if they're trying to fill that up with 10 or 12 or 14 hours of work a day they're gonna walk away at the end of the day empty because that emptiness that void in our life is spiritual in nature and can only be filled by something that is spiritual. Listen to Proverbs sixteen twenty six: He that laboreth, laboreth for himself, for his mouth craveth it of him. Again, work is about the tangible. It's about the material. And the tangible and the material can never serve to satisfy the spiritual that is within us. I think that's why Jesus said what he said in John chapter 6 and verse 27. He said, labor not for the meat which perisheth. Now, in other words, don't make your life about that which Perisheth. Remember he said in another place, a man's life does not consist in the things that he has, in the things that he possesses. Here he says, labor not for the, the meat that perisheth, but for the meat, and he, you understand now, he's not talking about physical meat, he's talking about things that satisfy, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. So again, Jesus is talking here about the, the importance of the spiritual over the material. Don't make your pursuit of material things more important than your pursuit of spiritual things. The pursuit of material things is necessary. We have to eat to live. We have to, or we have to work to, to eat. We have to work to provide for our family. We have to to work, to, to accomplish other things, but that should not be our goal. should not be the priority in our life. And then you compare those words with these words. Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Strangely enough, I just used that verse today as I was... Talking with a, a man who's been visiting our church, and and uh, he was he was talking to Pastor Tyler and I about um, uh, about him his what he considered to be his ministry at work, and how God has uh, has brought him into a, a place at work where he's been able to. Uh, to do something that he shouldn't be doing in his position, but he's sharing the Lord with people and sharing scripture with people and talking with them about spiritual things. And he said, basically, I've become a counselor at work. And he, and so I shared this, but this verse was on my mind because of tonight. And I said, so really what you're saying is that it's, the spiritual work that you're doing that is more satisfying than the physical work that you're doing and he said that's exactly right i said well here's the verse for that jesus said my meat my satisfaction my fulfillment comes from doing the will of god that he sent me to do and he said pastor that's exactly right he said i believe because i had opportunity to be in california to be in texas to be in maine And somebody asked me the other day, why did you choose liberal Kansas? And I said, listen, I'm wondering why you chose liberal Kansas. He said, pastor, I didn't choose liberal Kansas. God chose liberal Kansas. And he says, he's starting to show me now why. Why? Because I'm able to help people and share the Lord with people and pray with people and talk with people. And so here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Listen, I am getting more satisfaction. My meat, my fulfillment, my satisfaction is coming from doing the will of God, which he put me in liberal Kansas to do. It's not what I do with my hands. It's what I'm able to do in talking with people about the Lord. And so that's what Jesus said. In the context, the, the disciples had, had offered him some food. And he said, guys, you don't understand. He said, my meat, I'm more, I am more fulfilled and more satisfied with doing the will of God. That brings me more satisfaction than what you're offering me to eat because it's just going to uh, satisfy me temporarily that I'm going to have to eat again. I'm telling you, the work that I'm doing and changing lives and ministering to people and helping people is, is going to bring something that will last for eternity. And, and that's what we need to understand tonight. That wherever the Lord has put you, He's put you there to take care of the, the physical, the tangible, the material things in your life. But ask Him to give you opportunities to use that for a spiritual purpose as well. Again, meat in these verses is used metaphorically to represent that which is spiritual and that which is eternal and that which brings the greatest satisfaction. So clearly the teaching is that we are to put our greatest effort or our greatest labor into those things that bring the highest degree of lasting satisfaction that's why Jesus said but seek ye first help me church the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things what things the 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 food and the clothing and the housing Listen, God will take care of all those things, but make them secondary. Make God first. Seeking him and seeking his righteousness, make that first. And God will make sure that the other things are taken care of. That's why Paul wrote in Colossians 2, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Then he said, set your affection on things above not on things on the earth. You with me tonight? We are to labor for material things, such as food and the like, and we do that to add years to our life. But when we pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, and we set our affection on things above and not on things of the earth, at that point, we are adding life to our years. Do you get that? We work and and we do those kind of things to provide, to, to add years to our life. But in seeking spiritual things, we're adding life to our years. What difference does it make if you live to be a hundred years old, but at the end of your life, you look back and it's a hundred miserable years? Come on. So we need to be doing things, yes, that adds life to our years. But listen, the most important thing should be to add Uh, 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 or excuse me, years to our life, but the most important thing should be to add life to our years. I think the reason a lot of people are, are so discontent and so restless and so unstable in their lives is because they're looking at their vocation as the end instead of a means to the end. The end being lasting satisfaction. As I mentioned a moment ago, there are uh, there is some profit in labor. And from time to time we gain some satisfaction from our work. But if work is the only thing that a person has to make them happy, then you hear me well tonight. They're in trouble. (laughs) They're in trouble. How many of you ever heard of a workaholic? How many of you know workaholic? I know a workaholic. I know him well. I know one very well. And I've, I've confronted him about that. So, said, dude, you're not going to be able to work your whole life. And then you're going to be miserable. You need to learn, loosen up a little bit, and have some fun in life. Amen. Look at verse 8. The folly of a godless education. So I'm going to ask the question, for what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Here's what he's saying. The most well-educated man in the world has absolutely no advantage over the fool if his education does not include God. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have associated with your name. If you don't know God, you're just an educated fool. Because when we stand before God in judgment, it's not going to be about IQ. It's not going to be about SAT. It's not going to be about the diplomas on the wall and the awards and the certifications. It's gonna be about what we did with Jesus. What we did with Jesus. And secondly, what we did with the resources God entrusted us to steward. That's what it's gonna be about. 40 miles south of downtown London, Is a tiny village named Piltdown. One day in 1908, a lawyer named Charles Dawson, he was a member of the prestigious British Geological Society, claimed to have discovered an ancient skull. Eventually more bones were were discovered, and, and suddenly the world had proof of Darwin's theory of evolution, Piltdown Man. Am I saying that right, Brother Mike? The scientific literature that came out about Piltdown Man was enormous, and more than 500 doctrinal dissertations were written about the discovery. School children were shown pictures of what Piltdown Man looked like and where he fit into the evolutionary chain. Sir Arthur Keith was one of the world's greatest anatomists, and he wrote about Piltdown, more about Piltdown Man than anyone else. His works included the widely acclaimed book, The Antiquity of Man, based on the Piltdown Discoveries. He had based a lifetime of, of work on his faith. And he was fascinated with the Piltdown men. Sir Arthur was a frail 86-year-old when two men, one named Kenneth Oakley and the other named Joseph Wainer, paid a sad visit to his home. They were breaking the news listen to this, that after a half century of study, Piltdown Man was found to be a hoax. Nothing more than an old human skull, the jawbone of an orangutan, and a dog's tooth. For 40 years, the brilliant scientist had trusted in a fraud Marvin Lubnow writes in his book, Bones of Contention, Assessment of Human Fossils, here's what he writes. Keith was a rationalist and a profound opponent of the Christian faith. Yet in his autobiography, he tells of attending evangelistic meetings in Edinburgh and Aberdeen, seeing students make a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ and often feeling, quote, on the verge of conversion, end quote. He rejected the gospel because he felt that the genesis account of creation was just a myth and that the Bible was merely a human book. It causes, he goes on to write, it causes profound sadness to know that this great man rejected Jesus Christ whose resurrection validated everything he said and did, only to put his faith in what proved to be a phony fossil. And Mr. Keith died an educated fool. Because he didn't trust Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That my friends is the folly of a godless education. Reminded of Romans 1.22 professing themselves to be wise they became what? Fools. It was none other than Solomon himself who introduced us to the fact that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge you haven't learned to lick until you've learned to fear of the Lord let's wrap it up verse 9 the futility of a senseless fascination look what he said better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This also, the wandering of the desire, is vanity and vexation of spirit. Here Solomon contrasts that which is real, the sight of the eyes, with that which is mere fantasy the wandering of the desire. And sadly, there are a lot of people out there today, and and you probably know some and probably will have a few pop into your mind as I say what I'm about to say. But there are, are an enormous number of people today who are living in, in some kind of a fantasy world, just waiting for something big to happen. I mean, they're 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 waiting for that big raise. To come they're waiting for that big business opportunity to come up. they're waiting for that big career making event to take place or that big lifelong dream to come true and in all of their fantasizing and in all of their fairy tale thinking and living, they're missing out on that which is real in their lives. You understand that? I mean, they're they're missing life. They are so focused on this fantasy that they just know one day is going to happen, and the next thing they know, their kids are grown and gone. They have no relationship with them. Why? Because their whole life they've been focused on this dream, this fantasy. Look again how how Solomon said it, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with dreaming. That's not the point. And, And I'll even go so far as to say this, there's nothing wrong with dreaming big about the future. As long as we don't miss out On the enjoyment of the present. You know this verse, Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now most of the time we read it like this. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. But I want us to read, I highlighted the first word word and the last word of that verse. I want us to read it together tonight and I want us to emphasize the first word and the last word. You ready? Here we go. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That means when you wake up tomorrow on December the 4th, or excuse me, December the 5th, this is the day. Is that right? This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And if God gives me the good grace to wake up on December the 6th, I will realize that this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I mean, we go on every day of our life that way. And that's what Solomon is challenging us to do. We need to learn to enjoy today, listen, because tomorrow may never come. Enjoy today with your children and with your spouse and with your friends. You know why? Because those are the things that exist within the sight of the eyes. Those are the things that we can touch and love and kiss and hug and be with. And don't be overly enamored with things that might happen someday. Be blessed by what has happened already today. waiting for some fantasy of yours to come true before you start enjoying life. Start enjoying life.